let's read here Revelation 4 and then part of Revelation 5. And we'll pray. And um, if you want to put the screen down, I'll, I've got a PowerPoint to start. All right. Let's read here Revelation 4, starting in verse 1. And after this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the, crown, from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. And the first living creature, like a lion, the second living creature, like an ox, the third living creature, with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature, like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them, with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day, of, day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever. And they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll, written with, within and on the back, and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed a people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all of them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. 
And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. All right. I'm going to try and wrap several things here up uh, together. um, And I'll introduce it this way. It's really, really important to have our priorities aligned with God's priorities. With what God says. To have the big things be the big things and the little things be the little things. And there's so many examples. We talk about this so much. But it's so important that it's so easy in our life to get distracted, be focused on little things that are important, and miss the big things. And in missing the big things, you've, you even end up losing the little things. I'll give you an example. I think I've given this example before. But when we go on vacation or drive somewhere whenever we have to go, when we go visit family, I often lose sight of the big things. And I, the goal is to get there, and I want to get there in a certain amount of time. And as you know, things inevitably happen, we have to pull over this or that, I'll get frustrated or I'll just be anxious in my heart. You know, I just want to get there by this time. And what am I missing? What really matters the most? Getting to the place we're going, getting to my parents or Jess's family by 3.30 rather than 4 o'clock. Or spending time with the kids, being together, taking you know some time off um, to spend time with family. Well, it's obvious that the big thing is just being there um, with the with the kids and enjoying the time and even being an example to the kids. Those are the big things, not the 30 minutes between 3.30 and 4. <laughs> and we can do that over and over in our life in many different ways. That's a, just an example for me. Um, the Pharisees are a good ex- negative example of this, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel, Right? You can get the what if you get the little things right, but you don't have the big things right? What did it matter that you strained out that gnat when you swallowed the camel? And so, over and over and over, we're striving to keep what the Bible says are the big things, the big things. And as we have gone through the Book of Revelation, we've been talking about that, talking about how what is this book really about, according to God? Not what questions do we want answered? Not what do we feel like would satisfy our curiosity? But what is God teaching us? And we just looked at how many times what gets focused on is, you know, the thousand years, the millennium. This little piece of this book of Revelation becomes the kind of the all-encompassing thing. And we miss out on what is it really saying? You know, and we've talked about this. What would be the main message of the book of Revelation? You know, could you give a short summary? And for many people, the first thing that comes to their mind is many of those little things, those secondary things. But we know what the big thing is, is the revealing, the revelation. We can call this, open up to the, open up to the revealing, chapter 4 and 5, the revealing of Jesus Christ. That's the big thing, to see Jesus. That's the big thing in all of history. And so, as we look at these passages here, 4 and 5, reminding ourselves of something that's actually a really big deal in our life, in the universe, in the Bible, what God has taught us, and that is worship. Worship. And 
Worship is really important to God. It's a really big piece of the creation of the whole world. And so today, we're going to look at 4 and 5, but we're going to kind of look at it from like a 20,000-foot view. So looking at this big theme of worship and what it what it's showing us here, and then we'll circle back around. You might think, well, you didn't talk about what what about these four creatures and what what is all that about and what about these 24 elders? What is that all about? Well, we'll circle back around and get into the minutia in another week, but today, just going to give the large overview of worship, worship, and one thing we can be clear that is the theme of these two chapters is worship, um, that Christ is worthy of our worship. Okay, so to kind of introduce this, again, we're going to kind of try and set this theme not only here in these four chapters in terms of what's going on in the book, but in terms of the whole Bible. Right? This is a significant book in that it's the last book. It's teaching us about the end times, and so we're going to try and set the stage there. Okay, so before we get into here, I'm gonna, I've got a couple slides. Let's see if I've got control. Okay, I'll just remind you that this, these are the seven churches here in modern-day Turkey where Paul was, uh, it's not Paul, John was here on Patmos. And if I say Paul again, you just interrupt me. <laughs> say John, <laughs> because I think I've done that before. And this letter was being circulated. We looked through all these letters and to each of the churches and kind of the specific situation that was going on there. But now we're getting into the next section where it's to everyone, both to us and to them. And I didn't know if you realized this, but you are in the Bible. Did you know that? That you're in some of the passages we just read. It said Everyone in all creation was worshiping at the end. So if you're a Christian, um, you're here. You were actually in this passage, you know, foreseeing God is foreseeing the future at the end of all things when all things are culminated. But um, so it's to you as well. But I want you just to think before you read this, I'll just set this up. One thing that helps me as I read the Bible is I think, okay, what would I say next? Or what do I expect the author to say next? And I'm just continually surprised, either at what they say or at my own ignorance, <laughs> of can't, being unable to predict. But let's just do this as a way to frame worship. Okay, You already know what the point of the message is um, today, so you kind of kind of know the answer, but pretend that you don't. Okay, Here's a verse here. This is from the Psalms. And how would you complete this if you were making a prayer like this? To you, O Lord, I cry. And to the Lord, I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? And basically the next sentence is, his justification for God not letting him die. If you were going to pray a prayer, God, please, you're, you, can, you can see some, in, in the circumstances around you that death is on, on your doorstep and you were going to pray, God, please, don't let me die here because, what would you say? I need to be here to take care of my kids because, you know, you know what, how would you finish it? Something to think about. Whatever you fill in the blank here is the justification for your very existence. (laughs) You know, what we think deep down our primary purpose here is. Okay? Hold that one in the back of your mind. Let's do the next one. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, 
that you may, that you all may. Okay, so this is actually God giving a purpose statement. This is from Peter. God giving a purpose statement for all of Christendom, all true Christians all over the world. He's saying, this is my purpose. I chose you. I I purchased you. I made you this holy nation, a people for my own possession, that you may. And he gives what they're going to do. How would you finish this? How would you expect the Bible to finish this? God to finish it. Whatever we fill this blank in with is what we think God's purpose is for the church as a whole. God sent his very own son to die and to call out a people out of darkness so they could, what? Go to church on Sunday. Is that right? (laughs) No, that's not what it's going to say. Even read your Bible every day, which is we just talked about. It's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. Okay, one more example. And then I'll go back and circle back around, okay? In this section, uh, this is from Philippians. Paul is giving the marks of the true people of God. Uh, as opposed to this false, uh, in this particular passage, he's talking about false like Judaism that's kind of being going around there. But th- so he calls it the circumcision, the true circumcision. But what he's talking about is true Christianity, true, the true people of God. So here's what this says: For we are the circumcision, the true circumcision. Who? And then he gives three things: one, two, and three. He's saying, here's three marks of what it really means that we really know God. What would you say if you were going to fill these in? Well, needless to say, the reason I bring this up is, at least for me, it shocks me, these things. The scriptures continually shock me. Um... And I just end up saying, wow, I never would have said that. <laughs> and being challenged by the Holy Spirit. It's like, here's the Holy Spirit inspiring this. If my thinking is slightly different, I need to adjust my thinking. Because God is the one that gives us purpose, gives me purpose, gives the church purpose. He's the one that saves us and knows why. And so, let's finish these together here. I'll tell you what they are. All right. Here's David's prayer. His justification for continuing to exist. To you, O Lord, I cry. And to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? So here's David's prayer. God, don't let me die. Because if I die, the body that's praising you today is going to be turned into dust, which doesn't praise you. That's pretty amazing. Praising God was such a big part of who he was. He did not want to die. <laughs> he wanted to keep on praising God verbally to in the earth, to the people around him, but also just to God. So is praising God such a big part of who I am that I could even begin to say something like this? God, don't let me die because I want to keep on praising you. Well, it was for David, which is pretty pretty shocking and and pretty amazing. And really, you can look at his life and it really bears itself out. That's true. Okay, here's the next one. 
But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellency of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Why did God redeem the church? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God called out the church. He saved them by his blood. He made them a people for his own possession so we could praise him, so we could tell how excellent God is. Very similar to David's. One more. For we are the true circumcision who, here's the three marks, worship by the Spirit of God, glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. Number one mark. Worship by the Spirit. Number two, glory in Christ Jesus. <laughs> Almost a repet- twofold repetition of the same thing. Glory in Christ. Worship Him and put no confidence in the flesh. So, the reason I bring all this up is what's my view of the daily Christian life? What's my view of God's purpose for the world? What's my view of the priorities in the Bible? Is where is worship in that? I read daily. We talk about praying daily, right? What about worship? As the evangelical North American church, is this something that has flown under our radar that's actually a really big deal in the Bible? I mean, just for me, I would say my personal fallible viewpoint is yes that it that it has for me and looking out in our culture i think i would say i would say my assessment again fallible is that yes that it is flying under the radar it's not as big a priority as it should be in the life of the church and individuals compared to what we see in the bible so i'll give you an example how's your prayer life that sounds normal doesn't it How's your daily Bible reading? That sounds normal. How's your worship life? That sounds weird. <laughs> right? Wouldn't that be kind of strange if somebody asked you that? It's like, uh, what? <laughs> Why? I think because some things get emphasized and some things don't. It sounds foreign. And why I bring all this up is this. Whatever the Bible says is important, I want that to be important to me, right? That we've used examples before. If we make something the big thing that's not, it can really set you, self, set you up for discouragement, disappointment. Uh, this is a particularly easy example. I'm not trying to use this to pick on any particular group, but it's just an easy example. Um, spiritual gifts is really, really big in certain circles, you know? And I have listened to, I listened to one guy who was giving a sermon on God being able to raise the dead. And he just flat out said in his, basically in his sermon, basically like, I just, I'm so disappointed that I've never seen God raise the dead. And like, this is like, this is the pinnacle of seeing God's power. And you could just hear like agony in his voice. Like his Christian life wasn't complete, you know. And I think we can do that to ourselves, can't we? It's not just certain circles that do that. We can do that. Right? We can make other things big things. It could be something is like having a family, right? I just if I could only have a family. Or it could be 
uh, worldly success. If only the church could get this big. It could be seeing people converted. If only you know, I could lead this many people to the Lord. None of those are wrong things. But God doesn't promise you any of those things. Right? We may labor our whole life, and the church might get smaller. <laughs> we may labor our whole life and see only one or zero people come to the Lord. Think about Jeremiah. Was he following the Lord? Yeah. What did God tell him? I'm going to send you and people aren't going to listen. Okay? What about raising the dead? Do all have gifts of you know healing, Paul says? Do all speak in tongues? No. There's going to be people that don't have supernatural gifts. And so, whatever it is that we feel our purpose is, we've got to align it with the Bible or we're going to be setting ourselves up for failure. But, if we do align ourselves with what the Bible says our purpose is, is God going to help us succeed? Absolutely. Just like Andy was saying, whatever he promises, he will help us. Whatever he's asking us to do, he'll help us do. And one of the purposes for your life and for us as a church is to worship God. Is God going to enable you to do that? Absolutely. Think about that. That's a pretty amazing thought. That as we worship God, we're fulfilling his purpose for us. Okay, so again, I'm saying, let's look at a 10,000-foot view of this section. We're just coming off these letters to these churches, many of them persecuted in a difficult situation. Those that aren't, he's setting up. He's setting up his church for the future, which is going to definitely go through even more persecution You know, after this is written. It's kind of his last... You can really see a theme here in, in 1 Peter and in Revelation, some of these later books, setting the church up for when persecution comes. What's his next message here? It's not more, you know, specific, you need to do this, you need to do that. It's turning their eyes off themselves to look at Christ and to worship him. And remember, this is what's going on in heaven. This is the end of all things. This is what's going to happen at the end of the, end of the age, that Christ must be worshipped. Okay, one thing I might say is this. I wonder if, too, certain pieces of the Bible are hard to understand because of this same idea, where we're, we're not seeing the big picture. We're not seeing what God is wanting to get across to us, and so they seem confusing. But think about this. Think about the whole Bible, the view of the whole Bible, and think of worship being one of the major themes. Some of the most confusing passages in the Bible begin to kind of make sense. Why would God spend so much time in Exodus describing this tabernacle and all these little pieces? Why? Because worship, worshiping God is really important. And he was teaching them there. God thought worship and how we worship God and our attitude in worshiping and, and the reality of who we're worshiping and the context in which we worship, being covered by the blood, all these things are really important, important enough to take many, many chapters to go over. Right? Think about the book of Psalms, the longest book in the Bible. It's not just a prayer book, although it is, but it's a, a book filled with worship. Songs of worship to God. This just comes up over and over. Okay. 
I'll give you a couple specific examples here. Think about, let's start in Genesis, and then we're going to move very, very quickly, <laughs> all the way to Revelation, okay? What happened in the garden? What really happened? Why did man fall? What's going on all the way through Exodus and and judges when they're just they're not listening to God and then the cycle of coming near to God and then falling away throughout you know the whole of the Old Testament. What's going what's really going on there? I'm gonna read you from Romans here. Listen to this. This is describing the sin problem. What is the problem of sin? This is how Paul describes it in Romans one. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served creature rather than creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So Romans, the book of Romans, Paul's setting up you know, the longest you know, exposition on the gospel, salvation by faith in the Bible, and how does he frame the fall, the sin problem of man? He frames it as a worship problem. He said, God is clearly seen in the world. And what did people do? They worshipped and served creatures rather than creator, rather than giving glory and thanks to God. It's pretty interesting, isn't it? Is that how is worship, do you see worship as part of the gospel? As part of the bad news of the gospel. The bad news that, yeah, you're a sinner. And so am I. And we actually deserve punishment. Why? Because we actually worship the creature rather than the creator. Though God was clearly visible in all that he made, we didn't honor him as God. We took him off his pedestal that he deserves, the worship and service that he deserves, and we put something else there. And that's what it means to be lost is to lose that worship of God and exchange it for something else, for something false. Okay, I'll give you another example. That's We could frame the fall in that way. And each individual fall, if each individual person that's ever lived that is captive to sin, we could frame it in terms of worship, a failure to worship God. To worship the one who's worthy, as we just read in Genesis four, Revelation 4 and 5, of our worship. And that's what Paul does in another place here in Second Corinthians. He says this, Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we proclaim, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, with ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. For the God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shown into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So, what is worship? Well, 
again, we're going to get into the details, not this week, go over like an extensive definition of worship. But one piece of worship is seeing the glory of God and expressing that back to him and just recognizing it and being at awe and humbled and to say to God, you are glorious, you are worthy, and to be responding to that. And what does Paul say in 2 Corinthians? He says, what is it to be lost? It's to be blinded to see the glory of God. You don't see it. When you hear about Jesus, when you hear about God creating the world, there's no glory there. There's no desire to worship. There's no uh, desire to worship the God who is, who deserves our worship. We're blinded. And what happens when we're saved? God pulls back the veil. The Holy Spirit shows us the glory of God. And we see, wow, God really is worthy of my worship. And I've been living like he wasn't. I actually want to know Christ who died to wash away my sins. He's worthy of my worship. Worship is a piece of the gospel. It's a fruit of the gospel. And it's one of the big sins that we committed before we were lost, before we were saved, when we were lost. That Christ is worthy of our worship, and as lost people, we don't worship him. We're living and worshiping something else, whether that's ourselves, comfort, money, whatever it is. Different for different people. So back to Revelation 4 and 5. Christ is worthy of our worship. You see that over and over and over here. And he gives two specific examples, two specific reasons in these texts that he's worthy of our worship. Point number one, we're going to go over these more in detail later, but I'm going to wrap up here. Point number one, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for, this is Revelation 4.11, you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. First reason to worship God as creator. Everything you see, everything in your life that you see around you, everything that exists, God made. God's the one who spoke into existence. That's a pretty amazing reason to worship. Every James says every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. Every good thing in your life is a reason to worship God. Chair you're sitting in, if you're comfortable enough to fall asleep, good reason to worship God. It's a comfy chair. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, well, it is a reason to worship. Kidding about people sleeping. But, um, Anyways. Everything. The food that you eat, that we're going to eat after this. The songs that we sing. Just the existence of music. Family. People. The Bible. Words, ears to hear that we can communicate to one another. In detailed, we can communicate in, a, in an amazing way because of the way God has made us. Every single thing in your life that you ever interact with, see, feel, taste, hear, touch, every single thing is a reason to worship God because He's the one that made all of it. And He's worthy. He's worthy of our worship. That would be even if we never sinned, right? That was true pre-fall. That's true for the angels who have never sinned. God is worthy of your worship because He made everything. I'll give you an example and try to apply it to our lives. Imagine two married couples, okay? And I'll pick on the husband since it's Father's Day, <laughs> I guess. Um, imagine two married couples and they act exactly the same 
but you don't realize that in their hearts they're having two different experiences. So they get up in the morning, they eat breakfast, they say hi to their wife, they hug, they kiss their kids, they go to work, they come home, they sleep, and they seem happy. But inside they're having two different experiences. One, one husband is actually just enjoying just the physical things, just the taste of the food, just the feeling of a warm hug, uh, sleep, the feeling of a pillow at sleep, when you go to sleep. But he actually does not appreciate the people. He's enjoying the, the food, but he's not, he's not thankful for the chef. Does that make sense? The other actually is deeply thankful, not only for all the things around him, you know, family, a warm bed, you know, all the enjoyment that comes just with relationships, but actually for the people themselves. One is so shallow compared to the other, isn't it? Can you imagine on Father's Day, you know, um, just thinking about, wow, I'm just so thankful for how good my kids make me feel. I'm a pretty good dad. (laughs) Right? (laughs) You don't have any thankful for the people, right? That's a shallow, that's a very, that person is having a very shallow experience compared to the other one who loves the people around him deeply, regardless of, you know, all all that it entails. That whenever they sit down for dinner, enjoys the dinner, but deeper than that, the people that are there. Well, that's the experience on a very shallow, you know, just, this is a bad analogy, every analogy is a bad analogy, of the Christian and and the lost person. That in the same way, I remember specifically in my own life playing cards with some of my friends and my friend um, that he lived up on this, like actually on top of a cliff basically with rocks and there was a beautiful sunset and I looked over there and I said, what a beautiful sunset. And in my mind I was thinking like, God is so glorious. And my friends, they didn't care about the sunset at all. They were just happy to play cards. They're like, ah. I think they even said something, ah, sentimental, you know. Something like that. And I just felt sad. It's like, man, one, they're not even enjoying the sunset at all. But they're definitely not enjoying God. They, they're, they're lost. And I just thought, how sad. And, you know, pray, pray, you know, pray for them. I want them to experience that. But that's every day of our life. Right? That you have an opportunity and I have an opportunity to enter into that second layer, the deeper layer of reality that's really there. There's a God who's worthy of your worship and He's accessible to you through the blood of Jesus at all times. And as you eat you know, a taco or as you um, watch a movie with your kids or as you lay down on a soft bed, don't stop there. Run the ray of sun back to the sun, right? Remember the chef who made you the food. Remember the person who's giving you the gifts. God. God is the one that made all things good. God is the one that's provided for you. God is the one who's given you life and breath and every good thing and the ability to enjoy it. So don't stop there. Worship Him. Because He's worthy. Isn't God worthy of your worship? As you see the sky, every day you go out and you look up at the sky, there's a sky above you, a beautiful sky that could have been a lot lower than it is, right? Imagine if the sky was like, you know, we could reach up and touch, you know, 
it's it's a dome and I can reach up and touch it. Boy, that wouldn't be as beautiful as it is, <laughs> right? God made a wonderful sky that makes you feel small. Why? So you can worship him. Reminder of our humility and God's greatness. The stars so far away, a million reasons every day to worship God. And he's worthy of our worship. And we don't want to miss that. Okay, that's the first reason. The second reason, we're going to go into that more in detail another time. I'm going to try and wrap this up here. The second reason, also a big one, again, this is just scratching the surface. We'll go into more detail later. This is in chapter 5, verse 9. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. The second reason that we should worship God is he's our redeemer. He, he created us, yes. Should we worship him? Absolutely. Is he worthy of worship because of that? Yes. But we have a second reason beyond that first reason that's always layered on top, which is that I'm not just a created creature that gets to enjoy these benefits of God. I'm a created creature that fell and deserved to be destroyed. And God saved me. And now, not only do I get to enjoy these wonderful things that God made, I'm brought back into a relationship with him. And I get to know him. And so, not only... Are you laying in a bed that's comfortable? You know that God's the one that, that's given that to you and given you a body uh, and given you the ability to sleep. Not only that, another layer on top of that, you know that you don't deserve rest, that you actually deserve punishment. And yet Christ shed his blood to die for you so that you could have a relationship with him and be brought back into this re- loving, worshipful relationship. Multiple layers there of reason to worship every day, every moment. And this is true, actually, not just now, but for eternity. Every single day, the first day you die and you wake up in eternity, whatever that's going to be like, it's going to be good, wonderful. I don't know all the details, obviously. But whatever, however it looks, whatever we're spending our time doing for eternity, every day you wake up and every moment you live, forever and ever and ever, you're going to be able to do this and say, God, I worship you today because I don't deserve to be here. I deserve to be punished. And that's going to be true the first day. And then the next day, wow, two days in the kingdom of God. And when I deserve zero, thank you, Lord, for washing away my sins. Day number three, four, five, six, to a million and a billion in eternity. Every day from now into eternity, we can worship God for being our redeemer, for bringing us in right relationship. And so this is what we want. And I just want to remind you, There's a reason that there's this book. The book of Revelation has more references to worship than any other book in the New Testament. What's the end goal? God wants to bring us back into this, us and all creation, back into this relationship of worship, of right, restored relationship to God. And it's available to you today and forever. And it's a privilege, right? This is a wonderful opportunity. It's a pleasant thing. You know, there's times when I come in and I have a message and it's like, take up your cross, it's going to be painful, you know, but God's worth it, right? That's like, it's like, yes, it's good, but it's hard at the same time. This one is just unmixed joy, basically. This is a command that's just pleasant. It's like, enjoy your life deeply and don't forget, there's a God who loves you, who redeemed you, who created all these things above you. That's not a painful command. (laughs) It's not like, love your enemies, turn the other cheek, you know, suffer, you know. This is just an enjoyable thing. Today, you go home, before you go to bed, before you lay your 
head down tonight. Close your eyes and just remember all the blessings in your life. Does that sound pleasant or unpleasant? (laughs) And praise God for them. It's a light command. You know, Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my, my burden is light. This is definitely one of the lightest commands. Right? Think about it. What a privilege and an opportunity. I'm going to finish this out with a quote. Here, this is from Tozer. Okay, this is, this is just him just describing this idea of not missing the opportunities throughout your life of worship. As a young Christian, I worked at the, for the BF Goodrich Company in Akron, Ohio, helping make rubber tires. And I worshiped God at my assembly line station until I had tears in my eyes. Nobody ever saw the tears or asked me about them, but I would not have hesitated to tell them why. As I went along and worked a little while at something, it became automatic, automatic action, and I started to think about something else, and I worshipped. I got to where I could do my work with passing skill and worship God at the same time. God was at my work just as much as he was at my church. As far as I was concerned, there was no difference. If God is not in your factory, if God is not in your store, if God is not in your office, then God is not in your church when you go there either. When we worship our God, the breath of songs on earth starts, the organs playing in heaven above. The total life, the whole man and woman must worship God. If there is anything in you that does not worship God, sorry, I misread that. Um, If you departmentalize your life, and let certain parts worship God, but not other parts. Then you're not worshiping God as you sh- should. It is a great delusion we fall into. The idea that in church, in the presence of death, or certain circumstances, is the only setting for worship. You carry worship inside your heart. You have worship with you. And I'll stop right there. I'll say two things on this. One... There's a part of the quote that I'm not sure what he means, and, I, and I, it's a good example of negative side of this. And he says he got to where he could do his work with passing skill and think about God and worship God. I, if he means, like, I got to where I could do my job all right, but I could focus on God and do a, you know, an okay job, <laughs> that's probably not good, right? What we're saying is not that everything you're doing, you're supposed to do it just to the minimum level of ability and try and think about God while you're doing it. That's not what we're saying. Um, if what he meant was he did his best, um, but while he was doing that, he knew it was for God. And he was able from here in moment to moment to remember God and to worship him. I think that's, that's right. Um, it's not going to be possible for us to concentrate on God 100% of the time. That's just not possible. That's not how God made us, at least most of us. You know, Spurgeon says famously that he, would, he, he could preach a sermon and he would have five different thoughts going on in his mind at the same time. But I'm not like that maybe you are but for most of us we can't have five thoughts at once and so god wants us to you know work with our all our might at what we do and what does worship look like oh it may just be you get to your lunch break and you say god thank you so much for a job where i can work hard and that i have the ability to work you know something might be something like that but the reality is is the point remains the same we don't want our worship to be confined here right we don't want worship to stop here or at our Bible time, when you wake up and you pray, we want worship to extend throughout our whole life. I mean, okay, some of you do different things. Some of you like drawing, and some of you like animals. Some of you 
like kids, some of you like the outdoors, some you know, a thousand things, whatever it is, don't forget to worship God in all those things. He's the one that made you and gave those to you. And so, to conclude, I would just say, remember that Christ is worthy of your worship as your creator and as your redeemer. Every day, all the time. And don't miss that opportunity. It's a wonderful opportunity. And we can just be thankful. Praise the Lord. Isn't this a good news? You have an opportunity to glorify God today. And it's not something hard. It's not something difficult. It's just remembering today as you enjoy, you know, whatever it is you make on Father's Day, barbecue or whatever it is you guys like to make, just remember to worship God. When you hug your kids and put them to bed, remember to worship God. As you get together with friends, as you just walk and have legs to move, worship God. And that means something. In the cosmic scheme of things, that means something. (laughs) You're accomplishing what God made the world for. You're saying, Christ really is worthy of my service and my life, and that's a big deal. And so we can be thankful, and uh, we can worship even for that. That's available to anyone. All right, let's worship God. Um, I'll close this in prayer here. Father, we are thankful. You are worthy, and we just ask, please forgive us um, for all the ways we fall short, and we are thankful, and we worship you, and love you because you know that we're just but dust and we don't do we don't do anything perfectly in our life um but you love us anyways and you died for us we're so thankful but we do ask you to grow us and help us as we go through our life to pray to you in worship throughout the day to remind would you bring to our mind that you're the one that gave us life and every good gift and also the one that redeemed us to restore our relationship with you would you help us would you help us now as we sing, you know, worship to you, to uh, sing it from the heart and um, to really mean it and to just be thankful for the opportunity and the privilege that it is. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.